Welcome to Jaipur Bites, the JLF podcast. I'm your host, Lakshtata. What you're about to hear in this episode is a live recording of a session that took place at the Z Jaipur Literature Festival 2020 in January at the Digi Palace. Here it is. So uh, she doesn't need an introduction, but I always think when you start a new chapter, it is good to put things in perspective. So very short, brief, you know, a chit chat about Shubha. I mean, she was born to academic parents in Allahabad, and after that, I would. I mean, she. I do not know how much of it is true, but apparently her parents sent her to learn Kathak, and she was not interested in. And is it true that someone asked you that you kis gharane ka Kathak nachti hain, and you said hum apne gharane ka Kathak nachte hain? I'm afraid I would have to confess and say that I did say that, <laughs> but that was at the age of four years, and uh, uh, my guru was very keen that I should appear for an examination. in the first year of kathak and there is a, a an examination for practical actual for performance and one for viva and what will a four year old do in a viva examination and the first question that i was asked was aap kis gharane ka nachti hain and i thought the only word i knew at that point which was close to gharana was ghar so i said apne ghar ka gharane ka then how did the transition to music happen well you know i need to acknowledge my parents because uh, they were academicians they taught at the allahabad university and they taught english um, literature at the allahabad university but they were crazy about the arts and they did everything possible to give a wide exposure to all kinds of arts that were available at that time in that area in india they encouraged us to go for concerts listen we went as babies to listen huh. to concerts and i'm hoping that nobody here will have will be there who said yes that baby who was crying loudly was you <laughs> but i don't recall you know i think we were trained to listen huh. to enjoy and also to come back and discuss the concert with our parents in whatever way we had understood it we were encouraged to read we were encouraged to listen to different kinds of music and i think i think that really was where my uh, crazy obsession with uh, music started right uh, when you look at traditionally when you look at classical musicians shubha ji you find that they write memoirs please call me shubha okay thank god i mean the g slips off so yeah so shubha uh, what happens is that most of them write memoirs you know they write about their journey through music but you never find someone writing a collection of short stories it is very very rare fiction they do not if you, you if you pick up the list and you go back i mean recently we had a fantastic book on ustad vilayat khan sahab then you also had devi dayal's book Yes. Namita. Yeah, which is which we published and we are very proud of. Uh, you've had a lot of books by you know on Kishori ji by people by herself in Marathi. Similarly by Ravi ji and stuff. But no one writes fiction. So what is with this wickedness and with this collection of stories? She's giving you a totally wrong picture about this wickedness. I will I will <laughs> ask her to read and you are all going to laugh so loudly that you're going to feel very warm, let me tell you. 
you know, uh, the kind of work, the path-breaking work that was done by Vilayat Khan Sahib, that needs to be documented not once, but many times from different perspectives by different authors. I think uh, for me to say this is my life story would be, uh, would be actually quite a, it would be um, a wrong step on my part because what is my life story as a student of music? It's similar to so many others. Right. And so there's really no need for me to uh, try and make my story uh, very special. I think this was important for me. I don't really know how I started writing oh. short stories. I actually started by trying to put down a plot for a theatrical production, for a musical. Oh, okay. uh, and we had, my husband and I had worked with the, the theater director Sunil Shanbag huh. to create a musical called uh, Stories in a Song. Okay. And that had six or seven different stories about how music is made. And it had the actors singing different kinds of music. So some were, there was a story about Thumri, there was a story about remixes, there was a story about Kajiri. So we had done that and it had uh, got a very, very warm response from the audience, both theater goers and music lovers. Right. And, and I thought, why not continue part two of stories in a song? Right. And why not uh, try and create a story that would be more nuanced, mm. where perhaps we could try and get musicians to be embedded in the production right. so that they could sing with flair. And huh. that story was Aman Bol. So uh, that story required very fine musicianship. And that's how I started putting down the story and trying to put down the characters and say, this is how they looked, this is how they talked, this is their, these are their mannerisms. And uh, the theater production never happened, right. but, the, but Looking for Miss Sargam did. Also, what is intriguing is the subtitle. It says, Stories of Music, which is fine. She said that, you know, she started, but, and Misadventure. What is with the misadventure? I mean, why that word? Well, you know, I mean, uh, misadventure, because what um, a lot of people see of musicians is this view when we're on stage. And we are different people when we are on stage. Mm. What happens behind the stage? And what happens when they go home? The tragedies, the conflicts, the struggles, the challenges, and the amazing strength also mm. of many artists. I think all of that really either gets highly romanticized or sensationalized. Mm. And, and it is not really, um, it doesn't really become apparent or accessible to everyone. Right. So if you hear about a musician who had an alcohol problem, then everybody says, exaggerates it and says, Are wo to gire padhe te or gahi nahi paaye and all that sort of thing. Or you have the other side which says, he was totally drunk or she was totally drunk or high or something. But when she came on stage, wow, you know, it was amazing. And none of these things are always true. They are sometimes true, but not always. Right. And I thought perhaps it's a good way of sharing um, sharing these many stories uh, that are in my head about music making, about the challenges, and about the lovely part of actually being on stage. Right. And I thought, let me try and write some more stories. And right. I was encouraged both by my husband, and he possibly was being indulgent. But then my uh, literary agent, Kanishka Gupta of uh, Writer's yes, of Side, huh. was amazingly enthusiastic. And I kept asking him, are you sure you're not being too kind to me? And he, he, he said, yes, I mean, you, you should write more, write more. And he would come up with very 
blunt critics, uh, a critique also. But I think that really encouraged me to put pen to paper right. and, and write the stories. Well, uh, you know, uh, the cover quote is by Jerry Pinto, as you well know, a very renowned author, and he calls it wickedly funny. The book is very funny. Like I said, I laughed. But it is also a serious indictment on the music industry. It is also very serious. It actually holds your hand and takes you, like she said, behind the scenes to see how it all unfolds, how it is very tough, and how music over the years, I will not say from which era, but over the years, I mean, as we understand it, when it's been modernized uh, in the way modern is understood in its simplest way, that it's been treated, musicians are treated like products. So if you have to deliver as a doctor, engineer, author, a musician better deliver. And Aman Bol, about which she spoke just now, which sounds wickedly very familiar, Shubha. I mean, <laughs> I, wicked. It's so, fiction. It's fiction, <laughs> Baba. Fiction. I know. In Aman Bol, there is this character who's the marketing honcho. Her name is Shweta Bansal. And the way she talks to this musician who's called Sikandar Sufi, okay? I'm going to ask her to read. Can you read from page 13? I will tell you where it is. And you just see how it all unfolds, the way she talks to him. So she's the marketing head of a very big company that is arranging this concert between India, Indian and Pakistani artists. And she says, the Indian artist is called Sikandar Sufi. And she says, Sikandar Yar, she could, that new song you've done for Yashji's new film is simply awesome, yeah. Itne akele, it's too much, yaar. I can't stop playing it in my car. Bowing his head slightly and holding a ringed and bejeweled hand to his heart, Sikandar Sufi acknowledged Shweta's fulsome praise. Magical, Shweta continued, sensing she had made an impact. No one can touch you, ya. Just watch out for, watch out for evil eyes. Nazar utarwale, sachi bolti Now Sikandar moved his hand lightly, ever so lightly, to his right ear, shutting his eyes for a moment, opening them to gaze heavenwards. His chest heaved, and with arms outstretched and raised towards the sky beyond the false ceiling, he exclaimed, Mola, Tere Karam Mola, your blessings, Lord. Mola Kasam Shweta, Mirko Aaj Tak Ye Samajni Aya, Ki Ye Gaane Bante Kaise Hai Mujse. God promise, Yaar, Upar Wale Ki Den Hai, Varna Who Am I? Main Koon Hoon? Meri Aukaat Hai Kya Ki Main Songs Compose Kar Loon Aur Gaadun? Bas, Data Meherban. I swear by God, Shweta, to this day, I haven't understood how I managed to make the songs that I do. God promise, Yar, it's a gift from the Lord above. Otherwise, who am I? Who am I to compose songs, to sing them? I'm a nobody. The great giver is kind, that's all. The way the marketing head, who's the boss now, I mean, the, you could be a musician, is how I understood. She's the boss right now. She's the one who's dominating the space. Jo tu ka istamal kiya, aur jis tarah se yaar yaar karke, which is fine between two friends, but tell me again that this happens where a musician's age, his or her stature, is completely relegated to the back burner and he or she is treated like a product. Well, it doesn't happen always, okay. but yes, uh, and particularly in, in popular music, for example, people are substitutable or in the film world. So if you have a song and you want to book X, Y or Z person to sing it and that person 
is not able to, your, their terms are not what you want to accept. You will substitute them with somebody else. The film is not going to wait, the song is not going to wait, the recording will happen. And similarly, over the years, very often, because earlier there were artists and repertoire people yes. who perhaps had a closer understanding and a closer association with musicians. Yeah. Now it's the marketing head who calls the shots. Mm. And so for them, you know, the number of years that you've put in or the stature that you have achieved is is just something that can be substituted. So that happens quite often, but not with every artist. Certainly there are some whom we still revere and we still, I'm hoping that that is the truth. You know, while reading this, while I was laughing through the pages because of the kind of talk that was going on between the two people, it also made me very sad because if you walk in their shoes, like she said, you're dispensable and so easily, it, you're so insecure and after years of training in Riyaz, you're still standing where you were. In the end of the story, the climax is very interesting and there I would like Shubha to talk about the role of technique, the role of uh, you know, gadgets, the role of, you know, Asha Ji, I do not know how many of you know, but she said one day that, you know, that she doesn't need to be brought into Sur through a computer. She said, if I don't have Sur in me, then what am I doing here? So, I don't need to learn from the computer to Sur. How important today it is for a musician, like in this story, the climax, you should all read what happens. It's chaotic. It's like, <laughs> but how important it is and sometimes does that dominate your basic skill sets as a musician? I think um, personally, I have a great love of technology okay. and I feel it can be used to great advantage. I mean, today every artist can have their personal archives by actually archiving yeah. all the, and documenting all their work. It's very easy. You can use just a phone to, to document yourself. But at the same time, I think, if, like as with any other thing, a moderate and a wise use of technology would really help musicians, listeners, everyone. But relying on it totally. Yes. Or, for example, this crazy obsession with volume. Very often I find in concerts, the volume is so high and everybody on stage is saying, telling the audio engineer, upar, upar, upar. I mean, what's the point in having everything crashing into your ears at decibel levels that are going to really harm you? Why not let the person who's on the console and who is an expert decide what should be heard? And you can tell them your preferences, of course, but I think that in general, we are moving towards a situation where the louder you are, yeah the better everyone feels. And that's, the impact is made not through modulation and not through subtle nuances, but through absolute crazy decibel <laughs> levels. Yes, which is very tough for me also to really negotiate through. There is this brilliant story, uh, every story is a gem, but there is a story called Foreign Returned in which the protagonist, Asavri Apte, she's a singer, she's a trained classical singer and she travels abroad. Actually, she's not interested, but she's taken there and she's actually taken there without, it's, it's as if there is an obsession to go and perform in foreign lands, it could be any place. I mean, I'm not going to particularly say whether it's the US where it's set or England or wherever. But when she returns home, she heaves a sigh of relief. So the obsession with performing in front of a foreign audience, that obsession still continues, you think? 
Yes, it does. In fact, you know, when I was, when I started performing, um, I used to look at, you know, we used to have printed biodatas in those days. And we would go to great lengths to get them designed and everybody would get themselves photographed and, and then have this little write-up about themselves. And one line that featured almost in every biodata that I ever saw anywhere, he or she performs extensively in India and abroad. And so the abroad, having performed abroad was a milestone in everybody's career. And I think that obsession, of course, there is the magic of going to another place and, and seeing another place, which is part of a musician's life. Yes. But at the same time, how are you going there? Who is taking you there? What kind of concerts are being organized? Do you have travel insurance? And in that context, I was telling you that till very recently, um, some of the greatest and very, very fine Indian musicians went overseas, had no travel insurance, fell ill and even passed away. And there was no money to even bring back their remains right. home. So finally, the Indian community in those places actually put together the money to bring mm. back the body. Yeah. And I think that is tragic that we, was, that we are so obsessed with the idea of performing abroad that you don't even think of these basics. And it's a, that's a story which has very, you know, very, it was horrific at parts where she feels alone, someone absconds on her and you know who, someone is arrested, someone is, I mean, these horror stories abound and I wonder who did, did I mean, would someone come, the community, Indian community come and help? Because a lot of musicians have also said that abroad, it's a more discerning audience. They like performing abroad better than in India. A lot of people have said that. They said that they are more interested, the people who come, they are serious rasikas. Do you agree to that, that you know, they, that there is a discerning audience there and therefore the obsession also to perform before an audience which understands music better and has the patience? I think a lot of concerts overseas are organized by uh, Indians living and working abroad. Right. And there's a deep sense of nostalgia and a sense of wanting to do something for Indian arts and music. And with that motivation, they actually set aside time, effort, money to really um, organize these concerts. So there is a strong desire to uh, you know, to stay connected with India. There is a strong desire to present uh, Indian music. And at the same time, they're not professional event managers. So often things do go wrong. And, and one really admires and respects the, the motivation with which they do all this. But n having said that, it's, uh, it's not professionally organized right. very often. Or yeah. Only s parts of it are professionally organized. Mm -hmm. So there are hits and misses in, in each situation. A farewell to music is a beautiful story. There is a clash between the old and the new. And I think that since time immemorial in any field, we've spoken about the clash which happens. Now, the thing is that, uh, Shubha, someone would say that you've straddled both worlds, right? I mean, you've done classical, you've done pop also. But when I read the story and at the age that I am in, and it's so easy for me sometimes because I understand a little bit of music, to dismiss the young as that you don't understand it, so, do you, because you straddle both worlds, do you feel in this story particular, particularly, was the approach wrong in the way the young, you know, approached music? Or the very, the way, I mean, the entire, the wiring is all wrong. What do you think? No, I, I, I don't think I can, um, you know, sort of fault youngsters in this matter. I think in that story, what I'm trying to say is that a very, very 
prestigious record label yes. known for its uh, huge catalog of some of the greatest Indian musicians now wants to reinvent itself. So who do they call? They call marketing people. And the marketing people come up with absurd ideas, which uh, I mentioned in the story. Yes. And, and for them, that is the way to uh, rejuvenate an old company. When you are not going to... Um, let me put it the other way. Right. Don't you think it would be a tragedy if a musician a young musician today who specializes in playing an instrument that is very rare and comes from a family of musicians, wants to record traditional music, right. but there is no opportunity for him or her because the marketing people in a record label feel that only what is today known as contemporary, that means ragdare music with drums and keyboards. I have no issue with that. I, if somebody wants to do it, please do it. I would love to listen. And I enjoy it too. But if somebody does not want to do that, if they want to present the music of their forefathers, why should they not have a chance to do so? Yeah, so, great. Uh, we all know how big reality shows are. There is a story in this Tan Kaptan, which is very, very interesting. It takes you through the entire gamut of how reality shows are organized and what goes behind. It's chaotic. I mean, there is... Minute to minute, there are changes. Ye karlo, wo mat karo, ye karo, wo karo. Reality shows are now the mainstay of most television channels. And there was a time when I, I think one of the oldest shows was Saregama. Yes. When that started and you had stalwarts coming to the show, there was a lot of talk about, thank God, good music is also coming in a big way back to the masses. But this story, where you are laughing, it seems like you are an outsider and you are laughing at whatever is going on. You think reality shows, by and large, are unfair on the performers? I mean, I mean, like you say, you're, you have no issues with all this, whatever goes on. But are they unfair with a lot of gems that you find, you know, you may find in the performers in a reality show? Well, you know, I don't, I don't think they're unfair to the yeah. participants. I think they do help in... Uh, in discovering wonderful talent and some of the voices that you hear on television um, in reality shows and talent shows are just stunning. They, they take your breath away. But what happens to them, does anybody ask what happens to them three months after the show packs up? What happens to them three years after the show packs up? Where are they? Have they made any progress musically? Have they made any progress in their, in, in, you know, in their learning of music or have they abandoned the study of music because now they're on a contract which gives them the chance to sing wherever their managers are taking them. So I think for me, uh, there is nothing objectionable about mm. talent shows, but I think I, couldn't, I don't agree with the idea of binding down a musician to a contract that gives them no time for their musical progress and their musical development. I think that needs to be worked out. And of course, it's entirely the choice of the participants or in the case if they're minors, then in, in their, it's a choice of their guardians. But this is something tragic that you hear this stunning, breathtaking voice and a year down the line, they're nowhere. Right. Uh, the elusive Miss Sargam, you know, where does one find Miss Sargam? I mean, if one spoke to you, Sargam itself is a metaphor, I mean, for music and for the mainstay. She's elusive, right? I mean, everyone is trying to find her. 
is there an attempt for you to say that you will find her in your own way? I mean, what are you trying to say as an author? I'm trying to say that Miss Sargam is just a, I mean, I, I made, she's Miss Sargam in this book, but she could have been Master Sargam as well. And, and, and uh, uh, just an, uh, a way of saying that musicians um, have their own way of reinventing themselves. Right. Um, in, in the book, Miss Sargam appears in several stories. Yeah. In one, she's uh, somebody who was a great pop star and then became a totally, uh, totally dedicated to classical music. In another story, she's a person who puts on a three-piece suit and sings both in male and female voices. And I think this is just a question of artists and how they deal with their journeys and how they reinvent themselves and what they do. So basically, it's, it's just a metaphor for an artist who will find, who will adapt, go along with changing times and find new ways of expressing themselves. Right. Um, I started this conversation by saying that if it's wickedly funny, it's irreverent, actually. The word is, it's irreverent. And yeah, you know, you have pieces where, like I said, it's, it's like a fly on the wall who's looking at the, but it is also very sad in places. Um, you feel that there was, I mean, she covers an era which for a lot of people today, I mean, the millennials, it may be completely unfamiliar, but an era which she covers, I mean, one has seen certain musicians there and one still has great reverence, but it is also very sad, at least for me. I thought that, you know, that... So I was looking for some... Ha there are happy moments. There are great, happy, funny moments. But are you trying to say that we really need to pull ourselves up when it comes to treating music in the first place and our kind of music? And we haven't done very well with that. I don't want to sort of pass judgment, but yes, we do need to look at how we treat music and musicians, and we need to... Um, and musicians also cannot treat themselves as being gifts from the gods to humankind. They need to be, I mean, I've also, um, I've also sort of my musicians, the characters who are musicians can be fairly nasty people as well. So I haven't uh, sort of just been one-sided, but I think both a sense of professionalism from musicians and a sense of some kind of dignity to be given to musicians certainly is required. Right. But then when the bazaar or the market becomes great and the marketing, you know, kind of, you know, you have to sell, you have to do well. And why not? Because a lot of people depend on it. I'm going to ask her to read from page 154. There is this absolutely funny stuff where a director producer is talking about his movie and talking to a musician. I will just turn to that page. Let's have some fun. This is a director. I mean, you can introduce Shubha, who he is and who is he talking to. This is Mr. Ramani, who has called a classical singer, a um, very fine classical singer, to sing something for his forthcoming movie. And he starts out by being very, very respectful. Um, but then you can see that the respect is scant and that he's actually just hoping to get her to sing and actually give away compositions. So he says, my secretary is telling me you are not easy to contact on phone. You keep your mobile switched off most times, only landline. I understand, G. Artists are not like era gera people. They are very special. I'm also like that. So you see, we will work very well together. Actually, I'm working on my new film, Dil Pardesi. He then began to list the many and great virtues of the film, all of which seemed to be over-the-top commercial. Manjushwa punctuated Ramani's monologue with an occasional G, 
to indicate that she was listening. Ramani continued enthusiastically. It is a total family drama, Manjusha ji, and all about Indian culture. Love story with sanskar. It is reflecting today's youth who are very modern, but also have great respect for our tradition. Young people going for love marriage only with full blessings of their elders. Mini skirt and Mangal Sutra. Women drinking wine shine, women drinking wine shine, but keeping, keeping full karva chauth fast, not even water. You understand? I want to show that our original culture is great and it is also trendy. This is why I need your help. You see, your album of wedding songs is just super. In fact, super duper. In the full film, I want those wedding songs of yours. It will really suit the film and your voice will be there throughout from opening credit to closing credit. <laughs> also, uh as I see that one common thread, they're all different stories set, you know, there are different characters. But I see some of the stories where the credit is taken away from the musician. Someone wants to record your songs, he says, he says, give me credit. Last time also you never gave me credit. Mera naami nahi tha record me is bar to de de mere bhai. Or he, then he says, ki wo kisi aur se record karwa liya aur uska naam nahi hai. Similarly, one character who tells his wife, you know, the, again they've done this to me, yaar. usne mere credit nahi diya. Is it a big problem? And I'm, uh, can I just uh, connect it with the royalties and you know, the way, the processes which involves a musician in this part of the world as against the West, which is very strict about it. This thing about giving credit, even if it is folk, I mean, you can pick up folk from Rajasthan and do it in your way, but then that becomes yours, right? It's copyright Shubha Mudgal, if you do it in a record. I can't use it in my film, I mean, you know, so is it a problem? Is it a recurring problem or things have improved now? I think it's a very complicated issue which needs to be really discussed very carefully. I think when you, you cited the example of a Rajasthani folk song, yeah. now whether I sing it and whether I record it, I cannot call it my own. I must say that it is a Rajasthani folk song. It doesn't become mine because sure. I have sung it. Only the song recording and the manner, the adaptation, perhaps I could claim credit right. for. But as a student of music, it is important for me to say that I learned this song from so-and-so or I received this song from so-and-so. And in a place like India, where there is such a wealth of material, you know, uh, which is which falls into this strange domain of traditional or public domain. I think it's a, it's a, a matter of great concern. I'll, I'll tell, you, uh, tell you an interesting story, which, and, and you, can, you can check whether it's true. Bega Mahtar sang um, a very beautiful ghazal, E Mohabbat Tere Anjaam Pe Ronaya. So it was recorded, and there are many recordings of Bega Mahtar having sung it. Um, there are no credits in the old recordings of who actually composed it, but one imagines that the first documented version of it is in Begum Akhtar's voice. Now the same tune is being sung and being commissioned by record labels, but in fact by the same record label that owns Begum Akhtar's recordings, but what do they say in the credits? Composition, traditional, lyrics, traditional. How can that be? There is a shayar who has written it, whose pen name is there in the ghazal. And you own the rights to the Begum Akhtar recording, you don't even know that you own it. So you say traditional. Now, there's no great uh, crime that has been committed. But as a student of music, I feel it's very important for me to know that Begum Akhtar sang it in this way. 
it's it gives me a great sense of continuity it gives me a great sense of you know i feel odd that somebody sang this a hundred years ago and i'm singing the same tumri and dadra i'm part of this beautiful tradition that that goes back a long way and i think that needs to be celebrated and that needs to be documented and of course there are people who would sometimes they're not doing it with any malintention you know sudha uh, we are never taught about copyright nothing i've been studying music for now i would say almost 40 years and nowhere in my talim was i told about copyright the only way in which i was supposed to acknowledge another musician was when my guru would teach me a, a composition a bandish and say this is made by so and so great musician and there were there are ways of acknowledgement so if you go to a classical music concert sometimes the musician will say ye pandit so and so ki and they will place their hand on their ear or their heart to acknowledge the deep respect they have for that person. That's the only thing we knew about acknowledgement. But so we are not prepared. Nothing in our talim prepares us for today's world. Okay. And that's where a lot of problems occur. But Shubha, suppose if I record it in a jazzy version, I do sure. a jazzy version. Sure. Are you okay with that? Yeah, why not? You are not saying that that's sacrosanct, what no, Begum no, Akhtar no, sang? No, 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 why? You what have no problems with that. I mean, why should, it be, uh, why should it be disrespectful at all? I think you're approaching it from the idiom, from the vocabulary, the grammar that you have learned. Right. And there is no question of my, my personally that's saying what, that. As a musician? No, 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 not at all. So you're okay with when, you know, they are like reinvented a, an old bandish or Absolutely. A, a very old Bollywood song, you know, which is you often hear now yes. coming back in different avatars. And I sometimes have a problem with it because maybe I'm purist and old, but then you don't have a problem with old? that. that uh, yeah, I mean, come on, lying in front of everyone. <laughs> old, old, this is hair color. So, <laughs> so uh, I have a bit of a problem with that, but you, you, you are okay with that. Why? If I don't like it, I needn't hear it a second time. That's all. It doesn't irritate not, you. Not at all. That's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. I, I, I know she'll kill me for it because I didn't even ask her for her permission. She's asked me to call her Shubha, but still she's a musician and someone I revere. But how many of you want her to sing at least two lines? You know, I've been thinking about Apke Savan, but Puchuna Nenu ki bhasha piya. I've been thinking ki kya bolu, pata nahi, gala kharaab hai, thik hai. Kya sunenge, ab do line hai, ye suna de apni marzi se. Itna banta hai artist ko, itna respect. Sikho na Nenu ki bhasha piya Keh rahi Goosebumps. Goosebumps. I mean, God bless. Fasad, yeah, I mean,
अरे अब के सावन ऐसे बरसे बह जाए रंग मेरी चुनर से भीगे तन मन जिया न तर से जम के बस जरा रुद सावन की घटा सावन की घटा सावन की ऐसे जम के बरसे लवली थैंक यू सो Thank you for listening to Jaipur Bites. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. Jaipur Bites is a Launchora production. Producers of Story Talking with Laksh, The Visionary Podcast, Jazz India Circuit Podcast, Poetry Darbar, and most recently, Play Me Life. All our shows are available on all major podcast apps. Once again, I'm your host Laksh Datta, and thank you for listening. Thank you.